Well, hello everyone. We are here. We're ready to go. Hope you are too. Because we have a very important question to ask and then answer today here on the Hope Radio and the Hope Club Podcast. And you know what that question is? Now, you might think you know the answer, but let's wait and see. Who is Jesus Christ? Think about it. Number one, do you know who he is? And then number two, are you able to explain who he is? Today we're going to look at two very important aspects of who he is, okay? These are very important. And I know you can get them if you stick with me. Number one, we're going to see his claims to deity. Secondly, and as important, our response to those claims. Yeah, what do you think of that? It's one thing to know that Jesus Christ is divine, okay. But secondly, what's your response to it? How does that affect you, your life, the way you live, and how you think? Now, for Jesus to be who he said that he was, okay, and who did he say he was? He's the Savior of the world. Oh, yeah. Now, in order for that to happen, he had to possess a divine nature. In this divine nature, he would be equal with God the Father, meaning, here it comes now, that he is God himself. Okay, now this might sound basic to you. Let me tell you, most people in the world, they don't get this. They don't get it. Most people, you are in the minority if you understand the deity of Christ. Now the Bible tells us in Hebrews 1 verse 3, speaking of Christ, he is the radiance of his glory. His is a reference to God the Father. So I could read it like this, that Jesus Christ is the radiance of, of God the Father's glory, and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Wow! That's a mouthful. What does it mean? Well, when the Bible says that he's the radiance of his glory, radiance means brightness or outshining. So Jesus Christ is the outshining of God the Father, his glory in particular. And what is his glory? Glory means honor. And here it's a reference to God's nature. So Jesus Christ is the outshining of the nature of God. And he's also the exact representation. Now that word, one word in the Greek, two words in the English, exact representation. It's the word character, and it means, literally, a tool for engraving or an exact representation, okay? He means he's like an exact duplicate of God, okay? Remember when you were young? If you're really old, you remember when you were young, 
and you played with Silly Putty. Remember Silly Putty? I don't even know if that's around anymore. And you would take, let's say, a coin, stick it in the Silly Putty, pop out the coin. You had an exact representation of the coin, right? Jesus is that with God the Father, an exact representation. And it's more than that. He's of the same essence with the Father. And yet, he's distinct from the Father because he's come to reveal the Father. So he's a different individual, though he's the same essence of the Father. He's also eternal with the Father. Therefore, he is an uncreated being. Now, I think there's a couple of major religions today in the world, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, where they see Jesus Christ as a created being. He's not. Let me tell you something. If you've got the wrong idea of Christ, you've got the wrong idea, uh uh-oh, of salvation. Salvation is in the right understanding of who Christ is. And if you have a wrong understanding of who Christ is, guess what? You can't be saved. You have to know that Jesus is co-eternal with the Father. He's of the same essence with the Father. He's made of the same stuff as the Father, so to speak. So let's look today at six specific claims that Jesus made to his deity. Jesus did claim to be God, okay? There's no doubt that Jesus knew he was the Messiah. Okay, so let me give you six. Number one, Jesus claims to be God in the flesh. Write this down, John 5, 17. Jesus said, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. And you know what the Bible says after that statement? For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his Father and making himself equal with God. Why do they kill Jesus? Because he claimed to be God. He claimed equality with God. And he claimed to be superior to the law. So they're like, we're going to kill this guy. No, this guy's nothing but you. He's not God. And he's not over the law. Let's kill him. Jesus said, no, I am God. And as a giver of the law, I am above the law. He claims his work is the Father's work that he gave him to do. And he placed himself above the Sabbath. Remember this, the the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, Jesus did work on the Sabbath. That ticked off everybody. They didn't like it. And they would say, "Why, why does he do things on the Sabbath? Because he's Lord of the Sabbath. He's above the Sabbath. And the only way to be above the law and above the Sabbath is to be the lawgiver. And that's God. Number two, Jesus claimed power to raise the dead. Only God can do that, right? You know, in John 5, 21, Jesus said, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, Even so, the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. 
Now he said, only God can raise the dead, right? But how about that day when he stood outside the tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. You know what Lazarus did? Came forth. (laughs) He came walking out of the tomb. And what's the next thing Jesus said? Unbind him. Came walking out like a mummy, all wrapped up in grave cloths. I said, take those cloths off him. And there was Lazarus restored back to life. Jesus not only claimed to be equal with the Father by the things he said, he claimed to be equal to the Father by the things he did, and he did them. Oh, I hope you're getting this. This is vital to your salvation and to your walk with God. Thirdly, Jesus claimed to be the future judge of all men, all people, that is. John 5.22, he said, For not even the Father, God the Father, judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Whoa! People will stand in judgment before Jesus Christ. Everybody. The believers, the Christians, the Christ followers, will stand in judgment before Christ to receive our rewards of faithfulness. All the Christ rejectors, the unbelievers, they will stand before Christ and they will receive their eternal condemnation into the lake of fire. Everybody will stand before Jesus Christ. God the Father will not judge humanity, but Jesus Christ will judge every member of the human race. Now, no no one ever made this statement that they would stand in judgment as God? Whoever said that? Like, nobody. But Jesus did. And you know why he did it? You know why he said it? Because he's going to do it. See, in spite of what people think, Jesus knows who he is. Oh, yeah. He's not intimidated. He knows who he is. He knows he's the Messiah. He knows he's God come in the flesh. He knows he has all the power of God, that he he will pronounce judgment on all people. He knows that. Not afraid of anything. He doesn't cower in fear to anything or anyone. No. He knows who he is. Let me ask you, do you know who you are? That's a good question. Do you know who you are in Christ? If you know who you are in Christ, then you have boldness too. And confidence. And surety. You have the affirmation of God's love. It's all good. Fourthly, Jesus claimed equal honor with God. Another reason why they tried to kill him. In John 5.23, Jesus said, All will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. Wow. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Wow. Jesus and God the Father. Part of my heresy. They're two peas in a pod. They're both alike. They deserve equal honor. And that's what Jesus said. All who honor the Son, honor the Father. You honor the Son the way you honor the Father. You think less of God the Son? Let me tell you something. God the Father takes that personally too. 
because it's his son. He is worthy of our worship because he is on the same level with the Father. In John 8, 58, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He didn't say before Abraham lived, I lived. He said, no, before Abraham was, before Abraham existed, I existed. And what he's saying, I am from all eternity. And I existed before all ages. He always was. I am, by the way, is an expression of deity. When Jesus says, I am, when, when Moses was at the bush and he said, who shall I say sent me? And God says, tell him, I am sent you. I am. That's deity. That's, it's a pre-existent, present existent, future existence. It's all existent. That's I am. That's deity. And it means that God is the uncaused cause of all things. I like that. God is the uncaused cause of all things. Because nothing caused God, he's completely self-sufficient and uncreated. And so it is with Jesus. He's the uncaused cause. He causes all things, but he's uncaused himself. And that's why Moses, okay, he got it. God said, I am sent you. That should have given Moses a real sense of confidence. Wow, he's on a mission for God. Are you kidding me? Imagine being on a mission for God. How incredible is that? Are you on a mission for God? That's a good question. Do you see your life as a godly mission? And what's your mission? To be the body of Christ, to, to reveal God, like, to reveal Christ, like Christ revealed God the Father. That's our mission. There it is. Love the unlovely. That's our mission. Be the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus. For Jesus to claim that he possessed life in himself, even as the Father did, that was making his strongest claim to deity. He says, he says, I have life in me, just like the Father has life in him. Wow. And then, to really bring it home, Jesus is going to hit it out of the park. John 10.30, here's the big one. I and the Father are one. That's it, Jesus. You nailed it. I and the Father are one. We're one. We're one in essence. We are the same. We are different in individuality, individuality in persons. God the Father sent me and I came, but we are one. We are the same, the same in essence. Number five, oh, see how good these are? Jesus claimed the authority. Well, you can talk to a Mormon about this stuff and a Jehovah's Witness. Say, hey, what do you think about these scriptures? Jesus claimed the authority to dispense eternal life. All this is in John 5. It says a lot right there. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life 
and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. What's Jesus saying? Listen, if you believe, if you hear my word, and you believe in me, right? You believe him who sent me, that he did send me for a purpose to be the Messiah. You're not going to be judged, and you're going to pass into eternal life with God. Jesus can make that claim. He also said that he has the keys to death in Hades. Whoa. Now, who's got the keys but divinity? Stamped on every human heart is the wish to live forever. Really, it's in every one of us. Only thoroughly indoctrinated atheists can say, when you're dead, you're dead. And they can say it with confidence because they are completely indoctrinated in that philosophy. But religions all over the world, and there's a, there's thousands of religions all over the world, they prescribe ways of obtaining eternal bliss. That's what the religions are all about. Eternal bliss. They prescribe a system of good works, self-effort, or self-sacrifice to obtain it. They have all kinds of, some have pilgrimages. Some think they're going to keep coming back in another life form. Others think if they just work hard, give, sacrifice, follow the rules, they can obtain eternal bliss. That's why only the completely indoctrinated atheist says when you're dead, you're dead. But most people in the world believe that there is an eternity that waits for them. But they're working towards it. But not so with Christianity. In Christianity, Jesus said that he has the authority to impart eternal salvation, and he will grant it to anyone who, number one, hears his word, number two, believes in him who sent him. There it is. Whoops. There it is. Jesus can impart without our works, without our efforts, eternal life. And it's an accepting of what the word says about him, the fact that God sent him to be the savior of the world. There it is. It's all there. You can't miss it. It's in black and white, literally. In some Bibles, it's in red and white. Lastly, I have for you, Jesus claimed to be the source of life. In John 5, 26. Oh, I love John chapter 5. Read John chapter 5. He said, For just as the Father has life in himself, even so, he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, Jesus can't give it unless he has it. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give away a million dollars if you don't have a million dollars. Right? You can't give away an autographed picture of Michael Jordan if you don't have an autographed picture of Michael Jordan. So Jesus has eternal life in order to give eternal life. Jesus has abundant life so he can give abundant life. 
So when Jesus claimed his deity, the Pharisees responded, you being a man, you make yourself out to be God. See, they understood the message. Oh, they rejected it, but they understood it. They understood the message that Jesus was giving. I'm God. They disagreed with the message, but they got the message. That's why they wanted to kill him. Jesus was never content to think of himself as a mere human being. He knew that he was the Son of God and that all power and authority resided in him. And he drove this point home before he ascended into heaven. What did he say in Matthew 28 before he rose up? He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Right? He says, I got all the authority, and now I'm giving you the Great Commission. The Great Commission. So these are four claims that call for a response then. Okay? If now you believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is God, God sent to be the Savior of the world, co-equal, co-eternal with God of the same essence, there are four claims that call for a response. Number one, a response to a relationship with the Father. This is how you have to respond. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So if you want to come to the Father and have a relationship with him, it's through Christ. Secondly, there's a response to receive forgiveness. You can't be unforgiven and stand before God. In Matthew 9, 6, But so that many of you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Jesus said. He said to the man, Take up your bed and walk. Jesus healed the man that couldn't walk to show that he had the authority, the power to forgive sins. If he can, if he can cause a guy to walk, then he can forgive sins. Thirdly, there's a response on our part to prepare for the judgment. John 5.22 Not even the Father judges anyone, but he's given all judgment to the Son. So, are you ready? You'll either be judged for rewards or for your rejection of Christ. Either one. Fourthly, there's a response to be filled with Christ. Jesus said in John 6.35 I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. So are you filled up? Are you filled up with Christ? That's the question. These are four responses. So what are we saying? In summary, Jesus was, number one, God in human flesh. Number two, he demonstrated it by raising the dead. Number three, he is the future judge of every person that ever lived in the world. Number four, he was equal in honor with God the Father. Number five, he is the giver of eternal life. Number six, he is the source of all life. Now, knowledge, now that you know these things, knowledge demands a response. To do what? To have a relationship with the Father, to receive forgiveness, 
to prepare for the coming judgment, to be filled, not with the world, but with God, to be filled with the bread that comes down from heaven. God has given us freedom to exercise our will, to believe in him or to reject him. But the choice is always ours. Why is the choice ours? Because with our choice, we bring glory to God. We glorify God in our ability to freely choose Him. That's why He doesn't choose us. We choose Him and give Him glory when we make that choice. Let me tell you, this message is vital. It's really the whole gospel right there. Now, you can find this message at the Hope Club podcast, and I would recommend listening to it again because you could just get a notepad and write down all these scriptures, and then when you come in contact with someone that is a doubter, a disbeliever, hopefully with these passages you can get them to say, wait a minute, Jesus really is who he says he is. He really is. And what's the goal? The goal is to get them to believe, to make the choice, to make the most important choice, because if they don't, it's eternal damnation. That's what it is. It's eternal damnation for those who don't choose Christ as their Savior. That's no good. We don't want that. Especially for people you love, people you care about. Maybe it's people that you work with, all kinds of people. You want to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Find this message again at the Hope Club Podcast. You can find that anywhere. Just pipe in the Hope Club Podcast. Or go to our website, newhopecc.tv, and scroll down. They're all there, like almost 400. But this one will be right on top. Jesus' claims to deity. Make the right choice, okay? That's why it's important. Make the right choice. As they said in the Indiana Jones movie, when he was choosing the chalice that Jesus might have drank from, what did that crusader say? Choose wisely. Oh, yeah. Choose wisely. God said, I place before you life and death. Choose life so you may live. Choose life. And that life is in Jesus Christ. Thanks for coming along today. Hey, join the Hope Club podcast. Go to newhoperadio.live. It's all there. Be part of our radio family. Okay? Thanks for coming along. I'll see you next time for more.